Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. My name is Drew Burns, and I'm a part of a small group of dentists who believe something crazy. We believe the standard of care is just not good enough. We demand the best of ourselves and the best for our patients. We believe the best way, no, the only way to practice dentistry is on our own terms. If you ask the dental consultants or the corporate CEOs, they tell you that what we're doing isn't smart, that fee-for-service dentistry is dead, and that the golden age of dentistry is over. Yet, while others focus on profits first, we focus on the patient first. And yet our offices are some of the most profitable in the entire country because we invest in ourselves and we are doing things right. It's our name on the door and it's our reputation on the line. My name is Drew Burns and I am a fee-for-service dentist. This is the Fee-for-Service Dentist Podcast and these are our stories. Okay, everybody, welcome to the Fee-for-Service Dentist Podcast. Dr. Sonny Spira still sitting in for Drew Burns. Today, I got one of my favorite people on the planet as our guest, good friend of mine, Howard Ferran. I could give you a long intro and and we could kill at least 20 minutes of our time, but I want to get more from Dr. Howard as, as quickly as we can. So let's just say hello. How are you today, man? Doing good, Sonny. How are you doing? You're looking fine and snappy. Thank you. You too. Sorry about the Suns, man. I was rooting for him 100%. Uh, yeah. Funny is when I was in dental school, the Kansas City Royals won it all. Yep. And then they did thirty years later. And then the opposite of that is when my son Ryan was born, that the sons were in the playoffs and lost to the Bulls. And now he has a two-year-old child and they did it again. So it's kind of a the yin yang of uh, baseball and basketball, but you gotta take winning like you do losing. It would have been fun. Uh, but I thought the uh, it was a class act, and I really liked the way the coach went right over. First thing he did is went over and congratulated the other team. I mean, at the end of the day, the meaning of life is camaraderie, friends, team building, love. You know, it's uh, it's not money, money, money. It's uh, it's we're social animals, and it's family, camaraderie, and fun. And I thought I think he's a class act, which you can see because he's bold. I mean. I mean, you just, it's always with the bold guys. It's the guys. You have a, you have a prejudice. You You gotta, you gotta look under the hood. You have a hair prejudice. You do. You have a hair (laughs) prejudice. We got to figure that out. (laughs) I tell you what, I remember remember we talked a little bit, a couple texts back and forth, because the one thing that I noticed that really stuck out was after a game, I think something happened. And he went over and he put his arm around, I think it was Devin Booker, and yep. he was speaking to him and he literally gave him a kiss on the cheek. And in non-European countries, that's viewed as what the hell is that? But it was simply in the moment, human compassion for a mentor, mentee, coach, player. I thought it was beautiful. It was beautiful. And that's where you got to get the message out to these kids. They come, 6,000 just walked out of dental school, and it's always the same question you see. 
well, this one will pay 25% in production, but I don't have to pay the lab bill. And the other one's 30% production, but I have to pay half the lab bill. It's like, what the hell does a mentor have to do with the lab bill? Why did you go to four years of undergrad, four years of dental school, and now it's coming down to the lab bill? I mean, you need to find out who do you want to be when you're done at the end of the day. I mean, when you go to bed at night and pull up those covers, you got to think, what if this was the casket? Where do I want to be when I'm done? And that doesn't come down to the lab bill. It's like, if, if you want to be this implantology guru and you got a shot to go work with a, somebody that could be your mentor, I mean, you didn't even pay for dental school. So why is it coming down to the lab bill? And it's, at the end of the day with humans, it's all about relationships, mentoring, camaraderie, building teams. And um, I mean, I mean, it's hard to ask a dentist to play at the level of an NBA coach, but there's a reason he's the coach for the Suns and I'm not, you know what I mean? I mean, that guy's a legend and uh, these, these kids need a, a long-term deal. So let's, let's go right into it. So I, I'm glad you went there. I think that is a common, common denominator and you hear, well, debt service, and so many other things, but I think you hit the absolute crux of it is, what do you want written on your tombstone? Like, who do you want to be, right? And I, I'm sure that you have a lot of interactions with, with a lot of the graduates with your dental town and, and the other involvements in your speaking and all the things that you do and all your outreach. I, I'm gonna call them outreach programs because that's what I think they are. But as you do those things, you're in, you're in touch with all them and that's what you see now. The question is, how, how can we communicate the introspectiveness that I think people need to take? How, how do you get that message out? They, they just got to see the, the whole picture. I mean, like, like you hear so many articles like, um, you got to find a job with purpose. If you love what you do, you'll never work another day in your life. And to me, I mean, even goes back to physics with Einstein, where, you know, um, push your personal reference for relativity, you know, they general theory of relativity. So everybody sees everything from their own personal perspective. And you gotta stand back and see the species. I mean, 200,000 years as a sapien, before that was 600,000 years as Neanderthal. And we all have the same purpose in life. And that is everyone alive today is gonna die. I mean, the number one cause of death is being alive. Just like the number one cause of divorce is getting married. And um, everyone that's alive today, we're going to pass a baton to the next, our replacements. And, and the only value is what are we going to leave our replacements? I mean, even Boy Scouts that leave the playground better than you thought. And dentistry's um, have been a 200-year game. And these kids need to stand back and say, first of all, what is dentistry? I mean, for 200 years, a small elite core of us has just been in charge of oral health and eliminating diseases. And Pierre Fichard was the first one to stand up and say, this German theory of worms in your teeth, I got a microscope, I don't see any worms. And he realized that someone had to man up and, and, and declare this thing as a specialty and tell the damn Germans there's not any worms in the teeth. And he's the father of modern dentistry. And um, I mean, the father of dentistry. And um, so they, they need to get a long-term perspective where this can be because my major concern right now 
selfish from my own perspective, but would apply to the whole tribe of 8 billion humans is, I had four boys. Those are my replacements. That's my purpose. I mean, when I die, those four go on. And they've already had six replacements. Um, what did I get? I four, five, six, seven replacements. I'm sorry. My God. And uh, actually, I shouldn't be sorry because uh, Evelyn still won't let me hold her. She's three months old. And uh, she only lets her mommy and any girl and her dad. Her dad's the only man that could hold her. Every other man. And she uh, starts crying. And um, my gosh, um, if they got a toothache and they go to the dentist and it's owned, it's owned by Wall Street and they're saying, well, drive earnings and meet your sales goals and why are you doing a filling? It needs to be a crown. And we already see evidence where they um, incentivize people to put perio chips in their, in their gums and the periodontist are saying, I'm sorry. Uh, like you have to start looking at my microscope. I don't see any worms. And today's periodontist, I, I, I don't see any what the hell you're doing. And then it, and remember, um, it, uh, remember when uh, Sydney used to own their own dental offices? Well, well, shit. If she if she goes to a dentist who just is the rollover for the insurance or the rollover, then where are my children going to go when they need a dentist? And you are an elite, elite person. I mean, you don't even take insurance, do you? We are out of network. Yes. Yeah, I mean, what percent of dentists are out of network? You know, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, it's it's like under four percent. I mean, it's uh, it's probably like four and a half percent. Most of them are in smaller markets, rural areas. But you know, somebody needs to be a dentist. I mean, insurance companies are cool. We see that played out. I, I see the dip. I, I I never knew when I started lecturing that one day I would have been a globe trotter and lectured in fifty countries and saw the world. But I mean, there's everything has trade offs, and and wherever the markets have have a business like dental insurance that they go to one guy, the employer, and say, hey, buy these benefits and you'll be able to make your employees happy and maybe they'll stay longer and not go to your competitors. Um, dentistry is a much bigger market wherever there's insurance. There's no question about that. But the trade-off is it's getting so big. Are you a dentist? Or are you an insurance agent with a dental degree behind your name, a DDS, DMD, or BDS is the most common, and um, it's you know same thing with uh, um, you know I I don't I I it takes a lot of trust to go to a Cigna dental office and they close them all down. In fact, Kaiser Permanente, it's amazing. They've only kept their dental offices in Oregon. They closed them down the rest because they had a hard time. Well, these are our own fees, and we're trying to do it right and can't make any money, and um, so you know. So it's really tough talking macroeconomics when you have someone listening right now that might be from Parsons, Kansas, they might be from New Delhi, India. I mean, the world is a huge place. I mean, there's 8 billion people. And even within the United States, which is only about, it's less than 5% of population. So let's just say it's a nickel of all the dollar of people, um, the, the different markets within the United States, that the United States is a very full sacrament. I mean, like Texas, Louisiana, it's all an oil-based. Um, Detroit's auto, you know, LA's Hollywood. Um, banking, insurance, and financing is all in Manhattan. So there's many, many different markets. But depending on your market, I, I do see some huge macroeconomic trends that I've been watching for 30 years because... In the human race, each one of these countries 
dental race or economy race or education race. Everybody's at different levels of the game. But it is clearly worth noting the alternative business model to America. America um, really got sucked in. It started with Quest, where they were like, um, my gosh, why are you sitting in one chair? And and um, why are you going back to your office when they dismiss the patient, clean up the room, you know? And Quest was the biggest thing in the late 70s and 80s. And basically their formula is real easy, man. You got two operatories. If you put in two more, you're gonna double your net income. And it worked everywhere. It's the American way. Um, uh, Henry Ford didn't invent the automobile, but he invented the, the assembly line process. And everybody just got bigger, bigger, so they started adding, you know, hygienists to do the cleanings and front desks to answer the phones and assistants. And that model worked really, really well when I got out of school because insurance companies just gave you a percent of your fee. You just submit your fee and they say, okay, we'll pay 100% of your fee for cleanings, exams, and x-rays, 80% for endo, and 50% um, and for the big stuff, Crown Bridge Ventures. And then they decided, oh, no, 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 no. We're going to send you the fee and it was, just, and they knew their numbers well, and it's just barely out. Then you have inflation eating away. I mean, when the insurance insurance started as a thousand dollar max, well, by that thousand dollars in twenty twenty real in cost of dollars um, would be um, um, six thousand now. So, um, so what I've noticed the Asians um, did when this started happening, then they said, okay, well, the U.S assembly line, high overhead, high volume productivity didn't work. So they went all the way the other way. And they would say, uh, so you'll, you'll, they'll have like one employee, uh, I mean himself, and he'll have a phone, maybe as a wife or one person to kind of help him, a little helper. And you go in there and pay um, out of network, you know, it's like $1,000 for a crown or whatever. Or even if they take the uh, Singapore uh, national insurance, whatever, but their overhead is so low, they figured out they make a lot more money. I mean, there's dentists over there that maybe only do 250000 a year, but take home one seventy five, And then, then there's a thousand dentists in America that collected a million last year and didn't take home $175,000. So, so if volume um, and margin, you know, getting a little margin on a big volume, if it's working, uh, great, but a lot of times when it's not working, everybody keeps tinkering with the same model when they uh, might think of what's the inverse, which is my favorite mental model, is when everybody's saying anything, I just think, well, what is the opposite? Is the opposite true? I mean, addition followed by subtraction, multiplication followed by division. Um, it, it's like when you see someone really promoting, you should get the red triangle. And the other choice is a blue triangle. And when they're all done, I just say, okay, that, that's right now with the same passion and intensity. Now argue the opposite and tell me why you think I should get the red one. And then it's crickets. And then you start asking them a few questions. You realize they, they don't know anything about the, other, the opposite, the other choice. And so it's always really, really well. Uh, to serve your mind is to um, um, what is the opposite and I think a lot of dentists uh, need to start examining the opposite I did a podcast with a dentist in uh, San Fran named Gigi just love her death and I my gosh she's that person she's in San Francisco no employees 
her overhead's almost nothing, and she nets more than, I, I mean, God, I, I don't know anybody in San Fran that makes more money than her, and she's all by herself. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Speaking of economics, now, I don't know if this is a macroeconomics or microeconomics, but to your point, right now, at post-pandemic, everything is up. All your, all your supplies, all your stuff, all, all your, your costs of goods and services have increased dramatically and insurance reimbursements have dropped what what is that squeeze what do you think that's going to cause well um my gosh um you have what year did you get out of high school graduating uh, so 80, 81 i was 81 and oh my gosh the fact that you asked me that question tells me you have gray hair and graduating high school in 81 because nobody brings this up unless they're 60 and over. They never saw inflation. And um, Milton Friedman got a Nobel Prize in economics pointing out with his wife Rose that uh, all inflation was monetary policy. And he proved it. And, and I looked through, you know, 80, the 81 um, market crash, Paul Volcker had interest rates at 21%, doubled stagflation, double-digit inflation, unemployment. And, uh, and that's the last I saw that. Then 87, I graduated middle school, saw Black Monday. Then I saw the long expansion Y2K collapse. And then it was Lehman's Day in 2008, August 15. And this one is wild because I'm like, oh my God, it's back. And you know, the last Nobel Prize in economics was the, uh, the uh, Schellinger out of um, MIT in his, in his book, Narratives. And you can do a lot of prediction by looking at the narratives people tell themselves. I mean, they, and it's always like in 2000, it's like it was a new economy, the past doesn't matter, companies are worth billions of dollars that never earned one penny of profit. And it's always this new age. And about six months or a year ago, I see New York Times writing all these articles how Milton Friedman is dead. He didn't stand the test of time. His, his man, I'm like, oh my God, all I need is a millennial telling me how some Nobel Prize winning economist from the earlier era is now an idiot. And I'm sure the millennial journalist sitting in the library has got this all figured out without doing one observation or going through any data, no lab work, just, you know, just words. And um, it is back. It is it is back. The uh, the pandemic hit. The market dropped about eight hundred and seventy five billion dollars, or just say a trillion. And the Trump Biden response was five trillion. And now we're looking at a globe where you know uh, three out of four dollars were printed in the last twenty months. It wasn't World War II, and they said, "Well, that's the same as it was then in World War II." Do they sold war bonds to their old people? Their own people got the money under the mattress and bought bonds that guaranteed a nickel a year. This time, it's just printed on a computer. It's all fake. It's all phony. And I have to tell you that um, you know I turn fifty nine next month, and uh, my gosh, I have. I, I want to be healthy and live. I'm like eating popcorn, just wanting to see what the hell happens in the next 10 years. But we're in completely uncharted waters. Um, what you said is true. And inflation is back. It's everywhere. Um, and even old people like Warren Buffett on his last annual meeting was like, oh, all the companies we own, all their prices are going up. And so now you're 
all your overhead's going to go up. Is your insurance company going to start adjusting for inflation to keep these real and constant dollars? Hell no. Number one, they're not even smart enough or strategic enough. They're, they're the biggest bureaucracies. I mean, they're, they're no different than any dental school or the ADA. And so now you're going to be sitting there in a solo practice saying, okay, I have this big volume practice and my margin just keeps going lower and lower and lower. And I would rather, and, and why are you working so hard? So your two assistants can have a job. So your two $40 an hour hygienists can have a job doing a cleaning that gets paid $55 inside a business with 65% overhead. But now I'm going to tell you something that's going to piss all your dentists off. And I don't care because I'm not here to make friends. I'm not, I'm not trying to be your buddy. I'm just trying to help you. And Dentists are as in, they're as entitled as government employees. I mean, I've been in a thousand dental offices. And when I walk in a dental office, where do I find a dentist nine times out of 10? Private office. Private office. Oh, well, the assistant's making the time. I'm delegating. Okay, dude, well, she's going to be in there for half a freaking hour. If you were in there with her, it should take four minutes and it should have been done before the prep because now you're going to get a crown back with a reduction coping because you didn't even know the temporary didn't fit and your assistant didn't, you know, and, and, and well, what are you doing now? Oh, well, the hygiene, I got to, I got to wait here for two hygiene checks. Well, your front desk, somebody just checked out before wanting to know if they have their teeth clean today and you're going to sit on your ass for the whole hour and you got an assistant, she could have seated the set up the room, seated the patient, taking the x-rays. You gone in there and probed, she recorded, scaled for 10 minutes, done the exam, and you wouldn't be in there for 15 minutes. And then you leave and she does the floss, the fluoride treatment, and checks out the patient and breaks down the room. But no, he'd rather just sit on his ass, having his margin. I mean, I mean, whenever you find a go-getter like you and me that just go in there and bust ass and we got a tooth and it hurts now and the only time I can do it is right now through lunch or at the end of the day or just just may happen they always have skin in the game they're always an owner they're always working their ass off and then the people who say I don't want that responsibility I don't want to work that hard I don't do any of that stuff they're the ones that that their first choice is a DSO and I know this sounds very sexist and bad but I mean I, I'm, I'm, I'm a dentist I should know that there's a difference between boys and girls. Uh, but the reason two out of three of their employees are girls is because girls, from the beginning of the history of all recorded time, they marry up and boys marry down. Girls are smart. They're like, well, I got a doctor that owns his own dental office, and I got a hot looking guy who's a waiter at the IHOP with a great ass. Guess which one the girl's gonna go with? <laughs> She's going to go with the guy. She'll just, she'll just dream about the guy at the IOP. She'll just keep that in the back of her mind. She's going to, she always marries smart. So every one of those woman dentists is married to a male dentist, an oral surgeon, a doctor, because there's somebody that has a good degree that gets a great job. Uh, they're not going to get, they're not going to get a chance with her. Whereas the men, the men dentists, they always go with the, with the great ass on the waitress at the, at the IOP. I mean, my gosh. So they always got a stay home wife, no intention working. She says, well, I'm raising kids. I'm like, your kids have graduated from college. 
So, so now what's your excuse? Ah, you know, they, they, they chose you for a reason. They're never gonna have to work another day in their life if they marry a dentist that owns their own business. So, so that means, uh, you know, this is, uh, this is a tough call for those. So DSOs are gonna get all the people with no skin in the game. So, you know, that's why they look at an x-ray and they say, oh, I don't know, I don't see that canal. I better send that to an endodontist. Well, shit, if you had to make payroll on Friday, you're doing the root canal. I mean, I mean, at a DSO, I mean, I mean, they got 49 reasons why they can't do this endo. And the DSOs, um, they, they left it for other reasons. Um, they said, okay, the general dentist doesn't want to do them. They're lazy. They're not a skin of the game. Um, but if, if the general dentist says root canal, insurance is going to give me $750, and I got to pay that doctor 25%. But if an endodontist says it, they'll pay me $13.50, and I got to pay half to the endodontist, but my other half, my net income dollars is higher with a specialist, so now I don't have to do GPs. Number two, the legal community, America's got a million MDs and a million attorneys, and they cherry pick their cases, and they don't go after specialists because it's, it's a very high bar to get. What they want is a general dentist who got called out by their local board and wasn't a specialist. And that's a low hanging fruit because I just got to send you a letter and you're going to send me money and you're going to refund the patient. You're just going to pay big bucks to make this go away. So the whole between the insurance companies and the lawyers, all the DSOs are, are now going to have their own specialties because they're getting paid higher. So now you have the general dentist doing the general dentistry on these ever shrinking margins with inflation eating away at real and constant dollars. And this is a true inflection point um, in um, not just United States dentistry, but the entire advanced world, the 20 richest countries who have a um, entitlement, insurance, uh, socialized medicine point of view. Um, these, these are gonna be real interesting times, but I think they're gonna have to pick a strategy. They're gonna have to really start communicating with their local insurance companies, what's happening to prices. And that's what I did back in the uh, 80s. I mean, um, you know, when we would get a denial, um, I, at first I thought is, well, who's denying this? I mean, this, this is this is the value chain. I mean, if I'm GM and I'm in some way a million uh, cars a year and I'm buying engines and tires, I don't make anything, I just assemble it. That's your value chain. And you have to work very, very well. I mean, I drove over there, I met the CEO, we went to lunch, his name was Ed Judd. And me and my lawyer and my bookkeepers, a few times we went over there and showed them all of our accounting. And we found it very interesting and amazing and all that kind of stuff. And these are what DSOs are doing. I mean, I mean Harlan's got a division of people that communicate with insurance companies. Because I was telling a judge 30 years ago that, man, you pay me way too much on root canal fillings and crowns, but I, I can't make a profit on a cleaning. I need more money for a cleaning exam and x-ray, not a root canal. I mean, look at wisdom teeth, 250 a piece. I don't think I've ever spent five minutes pulling out four wisdom teeth. Once it's done, ready to go. I mean, so I can pop out four wisdoms in five minutes or less, 99% of the time, I don't care what they look like on x-ray, and you're going to give me a grand, but in the next room, I, I just need there for an hour doing a clean, you're going to give her 55 bucks. So, um, you know, so can you build camaraderie with the value chain? And I don't see it. I've been a dentist since 87, 
and they're cocky, they're arrogant. I mean, I, I'll never forget when I'm at, was at the CDA, you drunk at the bar with the CEO of Delta Dental who had sold a, a Delta Dental of California, who had sold a billion dollars of dental insurance just in California. Never, ever asked, invited to speak or talk or anything, but they brought in Bill Dickerson and he had a course called Delta or the Devil. And they're just like, are you freaking kidding me? Your ADA has never sold a dollar's worth of insurance. And this is nonstop. Like, like the, 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 the Delta will give them, say, say the average dentist, they give $150,000, dollars a year to all these dentists. And they'll only get a letter from one time a year because they didn't cover, you know, a 80-unit bridge on, a, on an incisor. And it's like, you bastard, you evil, you son of a bitch. And it's like, would you talk to your mom like that? Your children like that? Your value chain? I mean, you shouldn't even talk to yourself like that. And so, so to all of a sudden, all the American dentists get humble. I mean, shit, I'll probably be killed by a unicorn and stabbed right through my back twice before that happens. So I don't have any relationship with them. You go to any dentist you meet and say, okay, Delta's the largest insurance guy in my state. Who's the CEO? They have no freaking idea, no clue. So so they've been giving you money for 30 years and you don't know who the guy is. You never took him out for dinner. Tell me, tell me the last 10 guys you went to dinner with. I said, well, how did that guy earn a dinner? Who's your drunk uncle? He's a crazy son of a gun, you know, but but the guy that gave you a hundred thousand a year for twenty. So so dentists are egomaniacs. They have no humility. Uh, they think that they see everything from their own personal perspective. And right now is it's a time to build relationships, your value chain, get really good hands-on numbers. The CPAs in dentistry, all we do is prepare your taxes for a third-party tax collector, the IRS, or if you're publicly traded, the SEC. They don't have any managerial accounting, and they need to get a bookkeeper. And not only they're like 30% less than anybody who works in healthcare, they really got to get activity-based costing, activity-based accounting. They really got to know where they're making and not making money. And because there might be a time, like right now or real soon, where the numbers say you are at a fork of the road. What do you want to do? Do you want to work harder for less? Or do you want to work easier for more net? And we're only talking about net income because all the uh, all the uh, production numbers are just um, biting us. So let me ask you a question now. So with that in mind, how how is it that DSOs are approaching people like you, like me, and our and our generation, and, and probably a little bit older, or or, or others, and trying and going in to buy these practices? at these premium prices, how, how are they, how are they reacting to the financial realities today? Are they backing off? Are they lowering? Are they decreasing? Cause I, I don't see them decreasing. Well, it, it's really sad because, you know, um, everybody is not all good and all bad. Everybody's human. Everybody has faults. I, I see this morning that they want to change the name of uh, the new telescope going up because, you know, he might have, had a weird view 50,000 million years ago, you know, uh, before any of the writers were even alive. Um, but I, I just see that, um, um, you know, when you look at the Nobel Prize winning economists at the New York Times, New York City is the biggest 
city in, in, in the United States. And the guy gets a Nobel Prize, and and you and you see him saying things like, "Well, with interest rates so low, um, this would be a good time to do a big uh, spending bill for a trillion dollars." It's like, man, for since the beginning of banking, I give you a dollar, and you pay me five cents a year interest into perpetuity. I mean, Rockefeller's dead, but his institution still goes on from all those nickels coming in. And the Federal Reserve decided with Alan Greenspan, who was this, this, <laughs> this god magistro, and drives interest rates to zero. So it just destroys all savings. I mean, before that, to retire, you have to sit there and say, okay, I'm earning money, um, but my lifestyle costs me a dollar a year. So I have to save up $20. Each one pays me a nickel. And, and as soon as I get a dollar's worth of nickels coming in, I'm retired. And the government says, hold my beer. Alan Greenspan's gonna get rid of your nickels. So then everybody to, to had to throw their money into the stock market. Now I remind you that today, the bond market is worth $40 trillion and the stock market's worth $20 trillion. And from Greenspan on, they have just destroyed savings. When you say lower interest rates for growth, well, what's the opposite of that? Lower savings rates for savings. So you destroyed savings. So private equity is not in the same reality as you are. Private equity is that $40 trillion bond market where all these retirees and old money and pensions are saying, we, we are just concerned about capital preservation. We just don't want to lose our money. And what the Federal Reserve and the government is doing, um, sure as hell, looks less risky than what the dentists are doing. So they're coming in with wheelbarrows of cash because the government has destroyed savings since Alan Greenspan. And when you have the head economist, Nobel Prize winning, you know, just signing off on that. And I know he knows that's a problem, but he's going along with it in groupthink. And and this type of uh, mathematics, we all know where it is. I mean, this we got 5,000 years of recorded history. No country lasts forever. And uh, my God, America is doing everything it can to shoot itself in the foot and asphyxiate itself. And so DSOs have unlimited money. Everyone I talk about, in fact, look at that last deal. When MB2 uh, flipped it, you know, private equity, they like to hold it about five years and, you know, they buy it, they do whatever, and then they flip it. When they flipped it, the buyer, it was a 100% financing deal. I mean, the buyer didn't even have to put money in the deal because that's how much money is being thrown at DSOs. Um, they want to get out of the casino, the bond market. I mean, you're, what are you paying on interest? A percent? Are you kidding me? And then, and then they pay a, less than a percent interest, and then they tell you their goal is two percent inflation. What the hell? I mean, but why? But why would they be so anxious to buy a shrink like like what you're talking about in dentistry? It's a shrinking profit margin. Why would they be so interested in buying something that has a shrinking margin? Because it's a fully functional necessary business. I mean, you got nine billion, eight billion people. They they estimate uh, uh, the population herd will peak out at less than ten, like nine point seven. So we have less than ten 
billion people. They all have a mouth. It all can have diseases. It's all part of uh, health. It's a very strong fundamental business. Just like having a milk cow. They're going to be wanting milk for breakfast cereal a thousand years from now, a million years now. Same with eggs, chicken, beef, ham. And they know it's a strong business. And, and again, it's not just that it's a strong business compared to what? The Federal Reserve, the stock market, a U.S. government that's $22 trillion in debt and has already told you we, don't, we do not care about the sovereignty of our currency. We just printed $5 trillion counterfeit dollars and we're holding interest rates to zero. I mean, holding interest rates zero, that doesn't even, you can't even hook, connect that to human history of life and, and working and saving and retiring. I mean, these are insane times. And, and usually America has only been the most successful is because when there's 208 countries drinking at the bar and now it's closing time, no matter what America does, they're still the least drunk person at the bar. And, and, you know, I beat up on America a lot because they're, they're, you know, they're the biggest boy on the block in military, insurance, financing, things like that. But they're drunk off their rocker. The question is, what's your alternative? I mean, you're not going to put your money in the yen when it's a communist country. There's no courts. And you just turn out missing if someone doesn't like you. Um, they couldn't uh, turn to the British pound. The British pound and the Australian dollar couldn't cover 10% of the transactions that go on every day. So uh, the, in the EU is the opposite of the United States. The United States has a very strong government. It got nationalized at the end of the Civil War. You know, before the Civil War, every state had their own currency. And for the Civil War, Lincoln just rolled over all the other currencies and said, only I have the greenback. That was the whole Wizard of Oz, follow the yellow brick road, gold standard, all the way to Emerald City with the greenback. And um, my gosh, um, they rolled over all that. They have all this uh, purchasing power. And, um, and Europe's the opposite. Brussels is a toothless tiger. And all the states are nation states with hundreds, if not thousands of years of history. And none of those big countries of England and France and Denmark and all these countries are going to all turn over all their wealth and power to some bureaucrat in Brussels. So they're toothless. So now you have the United States that has the strongest federal government because they wiped out all the other states' currencies. Um, and, then, and then it was hijacked by, by a two-party system um, where, you know, just your only choice is a, a donkey or, or uh, an elephant. And, and, and then they convince everybody, like, well, are you for the donkey or the elephant? Like, this voting rights deal, it's laughable. I mean, I mean, if they really wanted, they, they don't want a democracy. It's been a sham ever since. If they wanted me to vote, this phone has, like, hundreds of algorithms and say, okay, this phone's always with Howard. They got my voice. If you have the Amazon, uh, YouTube, Facebook, uh, YouTube, any of the big boys, um, Amazon, Alphabet, which is uh, uh, YouTube and Google, or um, um, any of the big ones, they, they leave the camera on, they leave the voice recordings on, they know it's my voice. If they really wanted to verify the vote, I could go to usgov.org and cast my vote today. It have a massive long trail. If you want to verify, you can just call me, you can FaceTime me. I mean, there's no way. I mean, you're talking about 
Six Sigma verification that this is Howard on my phone talking to Sonny. And, and, and you're trying to confuse them with going into a polling station. Oh, do you have an ID? An ID compared to this computer and my iPhone that in 1990 would have been the largest IBM mainframe sold. So, so they don't want democracy. But, but, but it, it's a complete sham. And I think with this coronavirus, is when they shut everybody's business down for two months, I know what everybody was doing. They're thinking, wow, they have the power to shut me down. And now with this big platform of YouTube and all that, they're looking at all these videos on history and economics and this and that. And they're starting to realize that it's, this country is not all what they thought it was. And uh, so these are very turbulent times. You've seen them in the streets, you've seen them this. And, and the really question is, they can be really pissed off about social issues, but man, we have economic issues. This, that's why China is playing with its entire life because he's telling you they want Taiwan. If he tries to go after Taiwan and all of his neighbors pull back economic uh, deal, well, the only benefit China has ever given their people is economic advancement. And, and to get that, they had to give up the internet and Facebook and Google, and they're under social surveillance, and, and they have to live in a dystopian state to be able to have a nice breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and some furniture, and a nicer house, and all that stuff. But man, if their economy starts contracting, then that whole place is going to uh, go crazy. So these are so crazy times. I mean, it's a once-in-a-century pandemic. Um, I've lived in four economic contractions. Another one is happening. It's inflation's back, which didn't happen since I was high school. My God, I get up every day. I, I'm so excited just to read the news. I mean, it's like every day there's a Super Bowl game going on. You're just like, what move are they going to make? And it's all going to come down to, you know, do we make slightly better than half the moves good or slightly less than half good and the whole thing uh goes crazy again so you're still you're still positive on on our profession which i love so my question now would be okay you're a college student you're thinking should i go into dentistry i'm looking at you know four or five hundred thousand dollars of debt service by the time i'm done what 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 what, what would be your advice be to that person either the high school or college early college years first year second year thinking of the profession and thinking of the debt service they're going to carry? Well, you know, that's a great question. All your questions are great. I mean, it just comes down to, you, you, you know, you got to go back to your why. I mean, when you were a little kid, why did this turn on? Like, like veterinarian, everybody gets a puppy or a cat and then you decide they're going to be a vet. And that's why vets make no money because it's the most competitive industry to get in. It's like 10 times more applicants per student than med school and dentistry combined. So they just, everybody wants to do it because they just love puppies. I mean, they just love kitty cats and they love this stuff. And they would rather work with a kitty cat and a dog than any other job they can think. Um, for me, my next door neighbor, Kenny Anderson was a dentist. How he was a valedictorian of his class at Creighton. And for me, you gotta go back all the way back into uh, the, those time periods. There was no internet, there was no, all this cable and all these things. There's no technology. And I go over to my dad who owned a Sonic drive-in and I'd make hamburgers and cheeseburgers. Um, but I go over with Kenny. He could take an x-ray 
shoot through the tooth into film, and then you're going to go in a dark room with this like incredibly hot dental assistant and develop an X-ray. And I'm just like, I'm just in heaven. I'm in a dark room with a hot woman developing <laughs> a radiograph from Rentgen's genius insights of electromagnetic radiation. And I would just love at first sight, and I've been married to it ever since. Um, you know, and uh, it's a real necessary deal. So I would go well, back that, and just say, that triggered that triggered your why. Your why is very strong. It's very obvious, and and your need, uh, you know, to actually help is also e extremely understood. Uh, you know, so talk to that that young guy who or young gal who not sure what their why is. I mean, what would what would you try to what would you try to give them advice? Yeah, well, you know, back in that story, um, you know, all the dentists own their land and building and work for themselves. And yeah. um, when people say they uh, don't like listening to politics, I hate politics. I hate listening to all stuff. But there's politics in every hospital, yeah, every dental school. Everybody mm -hmm. I know works in a dental school. They say the politics so bad. It, 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 the fun of teaching the students barely is better than the politics and the bullshit. And um, so I love the fact that, um, you know, you own your own business, uh, you own your house, your business, your own employees. If, if you, you know, just the control of your environment, helping other people, working with your hands, um, you know, but now if you're going to get $500,000 in debt, and now you're gonna go be an employee. Now you're gonna be somebody's bitch working for you know a DSO and, and the Wall Street concerns, Mike Trump your concerns, and, and all the stuff. I mean, it's it's uh you know, you have to date what people say and you have to date what people are talking about, but the uh, the business of dentistry is massively changing. And and again, if you're a woman and, and you're a dentist and you're married to a lawyer at a nice firm, then you don't have all that financial concern. So now you can say, well, I mean, it's, it's like you and me. I mean, you know, I, I got a million dollars in my checking account because I'm too freaking undecided on where even park it. You know what I mean? Um, it gets to a point where money does nothing to me. I mean, when I go to McDonald's, I shouldn't be there in the first place. So I sure as hell can't have two Big Macs when I shouldn't have the first one. And and so there's no, no, there's no amount of money that's going to change my life or lifestyle. And a lot of uh, women dentists like that, um, a lot of um, people like that, so they can see what makes you happy. And I look at a pediatric dentist. I mean, I would shred my dental license in a minute if I had to get between working at McDonald's third shift or being a pediatric dentist, I mean, I can tell you. So when I see people that say they want to be a pediatric dentist, I'm like, well, what was your next best idea? You know what I mean? Being a test subject for a machine gun? I mean, yeah, they just want to hear screaming kids all day. By, I mean, I don't know where that comes from. It's a personal decision. And that's the thing we have to look at with markets. I mean, people talk about markets like it's one guy on earth. Shit, there's eight billion people on earth. I mean, a seven and a half or whatever. But I mean, my God, um, um, even the Federal Reserve broke it up into nine districts because the economies and all these different places, Missouri has two, one in St. Louis, one in Kansas City, and they both have their, uh, their different uh, areas of expertise. But um, many, many markets... It's all going to come down to the individual. What, what is your personal framework? 
What were your other choices? And, and it goes back to decision theory. I mean, decision theory is one of those deals where you only need one book to almost have a PhD in decision theory. It says, you know, what is your question, your decision? And they make that like a, a square, like, um, should I be, uh, should I buy this house? I'm here, I live in this town, I work right here and right up the street's a house. And in the square of the triangles of inclusion, you bought this house. And all the century of decision-making came down to that all bad decisions are made simply because they didn't fill out their circles of what were their other choices. You say, okay, well, you looked at one house, you said it was perfect for $100,000. Well, here's a house that had twice everything you liked for 50,000. Why didn't you buy? Oh, I didn't know about that one. Of course, you didn't do the work to fill out all your circles. So I would go back to that kid. Like if I was born, you know, I've lectured in half the countries in Africa. I mean, if I was born on some of those goat farms out there in Somalia or Ethiopia or Tanzania, and my dad owned a thousand goats and we lived in a nice house, water, food and everything. And, um, and he said to me, um, do you want to follow your dad into the goat business? Because I followed my dad and hell yeah. I mean, I was born in a place with a thousand goats. That seemed like a damn good decision to me, but maybe your dad's a horrible guy and you hate goats and, and, uh, and you still regret every time you look at um, your father, you call him bad, bad. And, uh, you know, and um, so maybe there's another reason to go somewhere else. Maybe it's not all dollars and cents, maybe it's your mental health. Because the one thing you do notice about Sapien, is, you know, um, they, they started out in Eastern Horn Africa, about Somali region for a solid 100,000 years. That's where the whole tribe was. Notice how they kind of spread out from Australia to, to, to Canada. It kind of shows you that Sapiens like, I need my space. I think I'm gonna go over a mile. And they, they just keep spreading out. They build homes and they get in their car, they lock their doors, roll up the window. Sapiens really, really smart. And they know that strangers are dangerous and, and don't eat that red fruit. If you're not sure, you might eat it and die. And they're very, very cautious animals. Um, they're very high anxiety. You look at other apex creatures like uh, polar bears and sharks. They don't hold hands in love and need to work with anybody in a team. They'll kill anything in sight and eat it. And that's not how we got to the top. We started out as scared little primates, you know, shivering and scared and hiding in trees. And now we're the apex creature, but we're still just a human. So they're scared that they're nervous of other people. I mean, you might be my best friend, but shit, if you're, if you're a woman and you're murdered, it's nine times out of 10, your husband. So if you don't understand that your husband could also be a murderer, I mean, they, they just like their own space. They like to spread apart. Um, so it's going to come down to, um, you know, you only get a hundred years, you're like a turtle and, uh, you, and, and really you're like a turtle. I mean, you're, I mean, it takes 76 microseconds just to process something human. They're basically slow turtles. They're going to live a century. They spend half their time, uh, disconnected from reality, living in a fantasy where it's a dream or a daydream. They'll be driving down the road and forgot to get off the exit because they were thinking about something else. And it's just going to come down to what do they want? What will make them feel safe? 
what'll make them feel, you know, feel good. And, um, and they need to seriously fill out all those circles. And what were their other alternatives? What were their other choices? Due diligence. I mean, that's a great answer. I'm going to, I'm going to wrap up with this question. I, I, I'd love to hear your response to it. So in terms of, uh, like the new technologies that we're starting to see, you know, uh, not, not, not like CBCT and that, but let's talk like, you know, artificial intelligence and some of the things that are, that are starting to, you know, you're starting to see in dentistry or in other professions. What are some of the things that some of the trends that you see technology wise in dentistry that the smart dentist is going to be able to take advantage of? Well, you know, the world completely changed with the um, invention of fire and then electricity, and then the entire industrial revolution was started by the combustion engine in England, uh, pumping flooded water out of coal mines. And those three are what took us from uh, nomads, it took us from the pyramids 5,000 years ago to landing on the moon. And right now there's just two things rocking the world and that's AI and quantum computing. And I see- wait, wait, what was the second one? What was the second one? Quantum computing. Quantum computing. Okay. Uh, yeah. So um, instead of a linear computing, it's three dimensional. It's I mean, it's just amazing. But um, when I, whenever I'm seeing shocking things, it's AI. I told every one of my boys, every kid I've ever done a hygiene check on, I said, "Boy, artificial intelligence, um, the program language, uh, Python." I mean, you know, like right now they say things to you in history. I tell these kids, I said, you know, right now in history, they try to brainwash you that um, um, that 100 years ago, like in um, 1880, 85% of the planet was illiterate. I said, really? Is that the same tribe that 100 years later was standing on the moon? And they're all illiterate? But see, they're, what their, their term was, was can they read? Okay, well, you can be really damn intelligent without reading. You're not illiterate. And right now, that the the you know the right now the international language of business and science is English because Germany lost after World War II, and that's why I feel so horrible to say that I'm glad World War II happened so I didn't have to learn German. I know it's selfish. I know it's selfish, but uh, I do not want to learn German. And um, my gosh, um, um, math is just the language of the universe is just the science. It's just a language. Math is a language. English is a language. But computers now are a thing. And they have a language. And the basic um, for AI is um, um, Python. And my gosh, I mean, just little things like, um, you know, like radiographs. I mean, there's density in jail right now. There was a girl in San Diego that was submitting uh, the same x-ray over and over that she was doing a molar root canal on people and building a molar root canal. And AI picked that. AI picked that and said, that's the same damn duplicate x-ray that I've seen before. So now she's in prison. I mean, overhead, like dentists don't know their numbers. They're trying to get dashboards. Right now, the, the DSOs are working with um, companies where you know they're giving them hourly updates or telling them uh, their information. But you know, you are trapped in this monkey brain. And um, you know, to get where we're at, we first had to stand up. And when we stand, you know, when you're a little on the ground, you can't see very far. But when you stand up, you can see further. So you're safer. And it freed up your hands. And, um, and now um, you can throw spears and all that. And now you're holding the computer 
in your hand while standing looking at this. So this is natural intelligence. And this got us from a tree to the moon. And now we're going to be augmented with artificial intelligence that when your little microprocessor that's so slow, I mean, they already have limits of how many words you could learn, how many social people you could even have a relationship with and all these things like that. And AI is going to keep scaling and scaling and scaling. Now, I know that some people think it's going to take over the world and all that kind of stuff. And that's clear and present danger, like all things. I mean, there's coronaviruses, there's AI gone wrong, but you don't sit there and kill something because it could potentially be bad. I mean, that is a lame excuse not to go forward with technology, like cloning humans or, or any of these things because it could go bad. Well, shit, what couldn't go bad? In fact, just the fact that it, it couldn't be bad if it couldn't be good. I mean, you can't have up without down, left without right, hot without cold. So when you tell me something's bad, well, I already know that there must be something good to it or we wouldn't even be having a conversation. But yeah, AI is going to change dentistry, business, the world. And if you think this computer is fast, wait till quantum computing is just, I mean, it's gonna, it's gonna make you look kind of like a goldfish and you're not gonna even be the dog or a cat. So I always thought a human was about a dog or a cat plus the goldfish, you know? And uh, you're gonna be the goldfish. And right now, this iPhone is a dog or a cat, and it's about to become a human. So these are completely tired. And that's why not only am I bullish on density, I'm most bullish on humans. Because it was it was the launch of the iPhone that was the inflection point. I mean, when Neil Armstrong landed on the moon, he had a computer, but no one on Earth did. And now this has leveled the playing field for the individual. Because the, 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 the top surface government they could walk all over you for 5,000 years because of leverage, um, you know, um, scale, leverage, uh, et cetera. But now, if the individual gets complete transparency of the data, if, when the individual is seeing the same hand that the Roman Caesar is seeing, and they all got the same natural brain, and the, the, it's like when I play you chess, I get to see the same board and all your players and all your moves and now we got a real game and it's going to be very very interesting because that's what china's having a problem with china for five thousand years they were just playing themselves they, they never had a people that they had to worry about well how does this affect you when and when maldi sung was telling them that everything and you froze okay uh, I'm going to pause for a second. Now it's going to be most interesting. Days and four nights. You you froze. You froze on something. You you no, said. I, well, you yeah, were we're having a monsoon and we got problems and uh, well, I should wrap this thing up. But um, but I, I'm so good. I think from when the iPhone was launched by Steve Jobs and the the century, the hundred years after that will be humanity's finest century as we're challenging all these old beliefs and disrupting them and turning them all upside down. And when all this shit shakes out, it's going to look like heaven compared to 1800, 1700, or 2000 years ago. Well, my friend, thank you very much. I, I, I learned, I, I, I just can't wait. I have no idea what's going to come up, but I, I like this, my notes for this, I put three things down on paper and 
you know, you covered them and you covered them in, in, in your, your fashion. And, and there was even more stuff there and I love it. So I appreciate you, my friend. And, uh, thank you. And I hope you survived the monsoons. We had July, we had record rain in New York state for the month of July and we have 10 days left. So no, thank you. No, well, you're still, I mean, and you're still having a hard time explaining to people that the edge of outer space is only 60 miles. I mean, Buffalo, I mean, Buffalo to New York City would be 10 times that far, right? Or uh, whatever. And if you cut an apple in half, that little red skins the whole atmosphere. And this 8,000 mile diameter is just a rock. And humans are, humans still are in complete denial that they live in a little red apple skin that's only 60 miles thick. And I mean, imagine taking a barrel of oil and throwing a match in it in the middle of the, of the NBA finals. You have to clear the stadium, but Americans don't see the connection of burning 83 million barrels a day in this little red skin. And you could tell them till the horses come home and they're like, I wait. And, and they live in this narrow range, like the auction has to be between 19 and a half to 22 and a half. A three percent margin, below above your. I mean, it's a fragile organism on this fragile little apple skin. They're like, no, no, no. I can piss and shit in it, burn fires for the rest of my life. I'm like, all right, buddy, good luck with that. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I mean, look at the floods in Germany and the fires, and I mean, Siberia. Those forests on fire, and you, and I don't call them climate deniers. I just call them people that in their life's personal perspective, they have seen all their evidence has been to, you can do anything you want. And it'll be interesting for them to figure out that maybe you can't do anything you want. Great perspective. That's my All right, buddy, have a great day. Thanks, brother. Thanks for listening to the fee-for-service dentist podcast. If you would like to share your fee-for-service story, please fill out our contact form at ffsdentistry.com. Also, be sure to join our fee-for-service dentistry Facebook group. For help starting your dental membership plan, visit dentalmembershipdirect.com and membershipmastercourse.com. Finally, for help with in-house financing, visit dentalfinancingdirect.com. And don't forget, your story is what you make of it. This is your name on the door and your reputation on the line. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time.